And so next week, I think you're going to see kind of a, a formal statement from them saying, we haven't developed a timetable, but we're going to have to start talking about a timetable. And just those words coming from the Fed are going to cause mortgage rates to rise. I think, I think we're going to start seeing that next week. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Today, I'm talking to Holden Lewis. So Holden is a mortgage and real estate expert with NerdWallet. He's been on all sorts of you know podcasts lately, you know YouTube videos, you know writing and publishing different news. What's going on? We're going to talk a lot about interest rates today, the future of the market. You know, is the housing market going to crash soon? How that might work out? Holden, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for being on. Uh, let me be on here. Yeah. Uh, so where where are you calling in from? Where are you where are you at? I live in Jupiter, Florida. Jupiter, Florida. So it's, I bet uh, it's about eighty miles north of Miami. It's near West Palm Beach. All right. So the is right now the the good the good weather time of year, or is it starting to get too hot? I mean, mostly oh, most of the time everyone wishes they were in Florida, right? The furnace is on, man. It um, you know, I mean, it was nice and cool until about two weeks ago, and then boom, you know, you go out there. Like I'll go out for a run or a walk at six o'clock in the morning, and like a couple of days ago, it was eighty-one degrees at six a.m. and eighty-one percent humidity, which oh, is just brutal. You know, as soon you're as, not really running. <laughs> as soon as the sun comes up. Yeah. So now all the you know, Disney World and Universal, they're all opening up at full capacity. Now more people are wanting to get out there just in time for it to be super hot. Oh, yeah. Run, people just, uh, hey, they love it. You know, it's it's Florida. Uh, you know, they get your you get your afternoon thunderstorm, cools things down a little bit. Then the sun shines on that water and gets humid. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know we're going to talk a lot about kind of nationwide statistics, but from state to state, does Florida act any different? So there's a lot of growth right now in places like Arizona, in Texas, in Florida, uh, Colorado. A lot, there's a lot of you know, moving around. Do rates vary from state to state does the, You know, when you're looking at rates? Rates vary a little bit from state to state. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with just the, the local competitive activity among among mortgage lenders. But, you know, overall, the national mortgage rate is pretty much pretty much the same, you know, just slight variations. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen with mortgage rates this year, rest of the year? Uh, mortgage rates are going to go up the rest of this year. You know, they, they've been, say, let's talk about the 30-year fixed. I mean, you know, let's just Let's when we say mortgage rates, let's talk about that one rate. I think that's a rate. that's a great qualification. That's the best one to be looking for for trends for sure. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's been about three percent for quite a while, and it's going to go up. I think starting really really soon. And what's happening is kind of the impetus for the rate increase starting next week is going to be the meeting of the Federal Reserve's Monetary Policy Committee, and. You know, so, some of your listeners might remember the taper tantrum of 2013. And what was happening back then was uh, after the, the, the meltdown of 2008, the Federal Reserve started buying 
treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And by doing that, they're kind of pushing down on mortgage rates, keeping mortgage rates low. And in June of 2013, they started talking about, okay, we're going to start buying less every month in mortgage-backed securities. We're going to stop slowly taper those purchases until we're not buying them anymore. And when that announcement was made, I mean, it, it was no surprise. I mean, we knew eventually the Fed was going to have to stop buying mortgage-backed securities. But when the Fed chairman at the time said, okay, we're going to start talking about developing a timetable for tapering our purchases, mortgage rates shot up. Uh, the, the market kind of, well, it was called the taper tantrum. You know, it wasn't a panic. It was more like, how dare you? you know, that was yeah. kind of the market's reaction. So since, since the uh, pandemic started, the Fed has been buying billions of dollars every month of mortgage-backed securities. And they've been making some noise lately about how they need to start talking about, talking about tapering those purchases. And so next week, I think you're going to see kind of a, a formal statement from them saying, um, we haven't developed a timetable, but we're going to have to start talking about a timetable. And just those words coming from the Fed are going to cause mortgage rates to rise. I think I think we're going to start seeing that next week. You might see them go down from one week to another a little bit, but the overall trend is going to be up through the end of this year. So what can agents and buyers do right now? So if they know rates are going up next week, what action can they take you know, before, before those announcements, is there anything they can do to hedge or any action they can take before that starts to happen? Well, the main thing that I think agents can do is inform the buyers. You look, this is going to happen. I mean, and inform sellers too, that, that affordability is going to start going down just a little bit. You know, I mean, we have rising prices too. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta let the clients know, Hey, you got to act pretty quickly here. You know, there's no, there's no dallying, you know, find out how much you can afford to spend on a house and try to act on it quickly because your affordability is going to go down as the months go by. I think the mortgage, the mortgage bankers association believes that their prediction is that the 30 year fix is going to end the year at three and a half percent. I think that sounds about right. So it's about 3%. Now we're not talking about a really rapid climb. But, you know, the difference between 3% and 3.5%, you know, on, on monthly payments, I mean, I don't have a calculator right in front of me, but it, it can be pretty substantial. It can really affect the amount of house you can buy. So bottom line, just letting people know, hey, act quickly or start, start looking at houses at price points a little bit below what you could have bought, say, in May. Yeah. So if somebody can get a rate locked in today, you know, somebody can get in contract and rate locked today, essentially if they wait two weeks, they're going to buy a house for 10, 15, 20, $30,000 less for like kind of that same payment. And so some people are stretching in negotiations right now or trying to figure out if there's that firm belief that they're going up, their affordability is going to go down quick. Like just a few weeks from now, if they start the, if they start the process in or lock then instead of locking today, uh, everything changes pretty quick. I remember back in the, the previous housing boom, like 01 to 05, it really, you had so much stimulus after September 11th, rates getting lower, you know, things happened. And that kind of started that boom. 
And I remember, I don't remember if it was 05 or 06 as a home builder. So a builder in Southern California. And I remember watching that kind of first Fed announcement that for the first time in years, they were going to start going up again. And it seemed like that was the, that was definitely the first leveling off point. Like demand didn't go away, but everything slowed just enough where we could start seeing the trend and then eventually fell out with, with so many other factors afterward. Do you think that if, so if rates are going to start going up and continue going up, do you think that with how the heavy demand in the market right now, it's going to have a drastic impact on real estate values like it did before? Or do you think there's plenty of people out there that real estate values should stay? Like, what do you think? I don't think it's going to have much of an effect on, on home prices at all. Um, what it's going to do is just uh, a different slice of consumer is going to be <laughs> buying houses. You know, I mean, it's just going to be, um, people who make a little bit more money. There's just yeah. so much more demand for houses now than supply that um, I just don't think there's anything that can push down on prices, not for a long time. Yeah. So talk, as we talk about that, you know, the people are like, hey, we have a crash coming or we don't, or when can this stop? I'm still traumatized by 07, 08, 09. Like I'm, I, I still look at that as the well, what if, because I remember how bad it got. And there's a lot of all, and there's also people that, I don't know, welcome a crash or welcome a correction. There's people like, I can't wait for houses to be more affordable now. Or people say, I'm going to sell my house now because I can't wait for prices to go down. Some people have been saying that for two years and now they're going, crap, I should have bought that house. So the, so it has been feeling like nothing's going to stop it. But the, but so what do you, what do you think? Is there, and I think you said before, really, there's nothing that's going to change it for a while, but anything that might be uh, you know, causing that crash, like what we saw before. And so let me, let me kind of back up to like 2001. Like I, so I've been covering mortgages, writing about mortgages and real estate since um, 2001. In fact, I took over the mortgage beat at, when I was working at Bankrate on September 10th, 2001. <laughs> so wow. My second wow. day on the beat. Everything changed. Anyway, so fast forward a few years. I thought around 2005, I thought we were in a bubble. And I was right. Um, it popped a lot later than I expected. I thought, gosh, this is going to happen in 2005 or 2006. Really, you know, you and people talk about 2008. I, 2007 is really kind of when subprime started falling apart. And, and um, I think you actually saw home prices kind of level off and start to fall then. And then things really crashed in 2008. So, you know, that's just kind of my way of saying, like, I, I saw it. I saw it. I, when we were in a bubble, I thought, you know, I knew we were in a bubble. I don't think we're in a bubble now. I just don't think that there's going to be a crash. You just have these demographic factors combined with, frankly, home builder timidity from what happened in 2007, 2008 and, and the next few years that they combine. So you just have, you just don't have nearly enough houses and you have this demographic bulge of millennials who are in that, that part of their lives when people tend to buy their first homes. You just have way more people who want to buy homes, create families than there are houses out there. And with that, you just, um, you're not going to have a crash. Plus, lending nowadays is just so much more responsible than it was back in 2005, 2006, 2007. There's just, there's just no comparison. You know, 
it's not exactly hard to get a loan right now if you're qualified, but you really, really do have to jump through a lot of hoops. They really are checking to see if you have that income, if you have that capacity, if you don't have too much debts. And of course, you know, if you have a decent credit score, they just, they weren't doing any of those things in 2006. And, and that's what really led to the, the crash. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about Rent Ready. Rent Ready is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real live human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many comments. They aren't gonna punish you when you grow. They're not gonna charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're gonna charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out, Rent Ready, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50. That's Rockstar50. And sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. So the so supply is the big problem, right? So, so and problem is maybe the wrong word, but but one of the, the things that's impacting prices right now more than anything, and the experience that buyers and sellers are having is supply. There is not enough supply on the market, and in one case, it's people. Some people do want to move, but they don't want to sell their house knowing they're going to have to buy their next house. So people are going to have to start getting created with that creative with that. I've seen some states like promoting fast tracking for like ADUs. So a big thing in California right now is, is they're, they're telling everybody, you know, they'll take less than 30 days. They can get permits and plans done to add a house in their backyard, add another unit in their backyard, kind of just fast track extra units on properties to try to address the shop, the housing shortage. Do you think what impact do you think that may have? And are and are there other states doing it? And do you think that there do you think it'll make a significant enough impact to make a difference? I've heard about these these laws in um, California, Colorado. I'm not really sure, you know, what else I've heard about. I just don't think that they're going to make much of a difference. You know, I mean, when you look at like local and especially state markets, it's just there's just not, they're not going to be enough ADUs built or, or like refurbished um, to make much of a difference. But at, at the, you know, on the other hand, just every little thing helps, you know, in, in a place like San Diego or LA, you know, gosh, if you had a hundred ADUs every month in that market, or even a thousand, Hey, 
it's it, it's going to be a drop in the bucket in the big picture, but for certain home buyers, it's going to be it's going to be really great. Yeah, have you looked around the the country to see where you know like what areas are going to have the highest price appreciation over the next couple of years? You know, states or or just areas that you think are going to continue to boom the strongest, and others where you might see it leveling off sooner. You know, it's just those fast growing metro areas. So, you know, I think that um, Austin is just going to be perennially, you know, for the next few years, it's going to be really hot market. Nashville, um, Denver and Boulder, those seem to be just super duper hot markets. You know, even Orlando, uh, there are places that tech sort of seems to be moving to from California, from Silicon Valley, or even from like New York. Um, you know, I think that people don't see Orlando as being a tech boom <laughs> type town, but it really is because that a lot of simulators are developed there, like flight simulators. And, um, you know, that those kinds of um, video game graphics, there's a lot of that development in Orlando. And then, of course, you know, you just see tons of companies moving operations and employees to, say, Austin and, and Denver. So, those seem to be, you know, the really, the really hot places. So, you know, kind of a sunbelt type thing. Yeah. You know, you mentioned kind of home builders being a little skittish right now. Right. And part of that is they, they built, they built, they built, they overbuilt, and then they got hit the hardest when everything kind of turned off. So, so they've never built at the levels I believe it doesn't seem like they've built at the levels, you know, anytime in the last 15 years that they did between you know, 2000, 2005. And I don't really know how strong it was in the nineties with building, but there was, you know, five, six years that I experienced where there was just heavy building all the time. And now we're seeing construction again. I feel like I'm seeing it everywhere, seeing big customs getting built. I'm seeing remodels happen. I'm seeing, you know, lots getting developed, but it still does feel like it's too low. And now builders are, kind of slowing down or stopping because of material prices. What do you think that is any, what do you think could happen to actually get them to start building at the right demand again? Do you think it's more controlled right now? Do you think there's a strategy in releasing stuff slow for profit margins? Will we ever see the building levels we saw back in 03, 04? Yeah, I think with that, we are going to see those building levels finally build up. You know, it's not going to be this year. You know, so much of it just has to do with, with, um, materials, the availability of materials, you know, not only lumber, but, you know, you, you hear about this chip shortage that affects car sales. Well, those chips are also inside washing machines and dishwashers. And so appliances are kind of hard to, to, to come by. And so, you know, that's part of the equation too. And just, um, you know, builders are just, they're, they're seeing so much intense demand far greater than they can build. And, you know, they're cutting off their list. They're, you know, they're saying, look, we're not going to have a, an interest list that's two years long because so many of those people are going to fall out. You know, it's just um, as materials finally come online in the next couple of years, I think that you are going to see a surge in home building because it's just not going to be a risky thing to do. You know, when you look at demographics, you know, a responsible home builder is just going to be building tons and tons of homes. I mean, I realized that that they really, really learned their lesson from from the boom in the early 2000s. Um, maybe overlearned that lesson, but 
you know, I think that some rationality is going to start coming in and they're just going to realize, look, we can, we can basically sell as many houses as we can build. It's just a matter of finding the land, dealing with all of the political stuff with, with developing. And of course, finding those materials, mm-hmm. finding those employees. I mean, I don't know. They're going to build as many, as much as they can, but you know, I mean, all of a sudden I'm remembering about the whole labor thing. Yeah, that is a hard. That that's that's almost as bad as the material part. That it's it's hard to find people that that can work skilled labor labor to work. The crash of you know oh seven oh eight oh nine. The during that time, I was a home builder, and then so many of the workers got repurposed. When it you know the years yeah. after that, anyone that was a you know very, super skilled carpenter went back to school and got a job and got a new skill, and you know they don't have. One of the things the trades need is people kind of working up. You know, they need apprentices that then become framers. They need people, and there's there's just less skilled labor, and the people entering that market, there isn't there isn't a great way to get people kind of qualified and experienced quickly anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you can try to bring back people who uh, took some other kind of job. Maybe they're driving trucks, and they they were a, a skilled carpenter ten years ago. Well, they're they're just not going to to come right back with those skills. So, and, you know, I'm not sure I've really seen much of discussion about training people and getting people into apprenticeship programs, you know, developing programs at community colleges. But I think a lot of attention and money needs to be thrown into those programs too. Yeah. I mean, I I think the way to, it, it goes back to that, the expenses of building a home. So now materials are going to be more. Builders now see the demand that they could build tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of houses and the, and the houses will sell seemingly at any price they release them at as long as they do what they do best and like make smart plans. But it will also to get people to be willing to leave the truck driving job and to come over, to get people to, to, willing to leave those other jobs to get back into construction. The pay is going to have to be the biggest kind of deciding factor, which again, in 2004, 2005, all of the contractors were competing against each other. And so it was a race to the bottom. So all the framers were giving quotes. And then it was like, well, what's your lowest? What's your lowest? What's your lowest? And now there's so few framers that there's only one that'll give you a quote. And so you're, it's like a take it or leave it type thing. And so it's going to be, I think there probably is a demand. You know, I think they know they want to build a lot, but I, I would guess it'll probably take two to three years of solid effort before they could really start building at those levels they were before. But yeah, it's really, really interesting times as we see that. When you look back at last year, so like March hits, world seemingly is ending. I'm wishing I didn't buy my new house. I'm fire selling anything that doesn't have a, a, a person living in it because I'm thinking about the crash. I'm thinking about the crash from before and I'd rather take a 10% loss and be the first one out than take a 50% loss. Boy, was I wrong. A lot of people were wrong. There's a lot of surprises that happened this year. What's one thing that happened that at the very beginning you said, no shock? And then what's one thing that you were like really surprised by? Like something that happened last year that you know, by May or June, you were like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't see that, ha- that coming. Any, you think anything? One, th- one thing that really did not surprise me at all was the way the Fed reacted and they, they reacted quickly. I remember one Sunday, I think it was a Sunday, my wife and son and I were sitting around playing a board game and I, 
I got bored, you know, <laughs> looked at my phone, looked at Twitter, and I saw that the Fed had cut uh, the federal funds rate in an emergency session. And I was like, oh, my God, okay, um, I got to stop playing this game and write an article about it, yeah. you know. Um, but, you know, they really, really learned their lesson from 2008, from 2007, really, and just hopped, up, hopped aboard that problem and, and addressed it as, as quickly as they could. So that, I was not surprised. I was very pleased. I was really surprised by, gosh, by, by May, you were starting to see home sales tick back up. I thought that, I thought that we would see a housing depression, you know, um, mm-hmm. that, that existing home sales would fall like month to month for, gosh, the, probably through January, you know, or, or through, through December. And I was really, really surprised when things started coming back much, much sooner than, than they did. And I shouldn't have been. I mean, I, you know, I want to look back on it. I think, okay, people like me who can work from home, who are, you know, knowledge workers, who don't have to put themselves at risk, not out there, you know, with, with the public, we can just hunker down at home and continue working and making our income. And take advantage of the situation. And I think that that's what happened. I think that was the mentality. People saying, hey, let me take advantage of that situation. There's a group of people who have been kind of knocked out of that housing market for no fault of their own because uh, they, they lost some income. And, you know, people who didn't get an interruption in income just went ahead and made offers on houses. Yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, it does make a lot of sense. In hindsight, we can say, oh, yeah, if we're going to be stuck in our houses, then people want more. People now had no better things to do. It was an easy, like getting the loan paperwork done, getting everything done. They were, they plenty, people had plenty of time on their hands to be able to do it. They had plenty of time sitting in their house saying, I don't like this anymore, or I needed to do this now. And as rates were getting lowered. And one of the things we've talked about a lot is kind of the, sh- the K-shaped recovery concept of the the really the low rates were meant to help the people, um, you know, to stimulate sales, right? That was one. But the goal isn't always to help the person buying their third or fourth house. It's mostly the goal is to help first-time home buyers. But most, a lot of first-time home buyers were the service workers most greatly affected by COVID. And so the people that were supposed to benefit, it, it's, it's it was like a bigger separation of wealth and the haves and the have-nots in one sense where. The people that got to take advantage of those low rates were the people that didn't necessarily need it. They were working at home. Life was good. And the people that could have used it more didn't get it. That was, a, that was an interesting thing that I think maybe the Fed will learn from that. This time. So every time something happens, they learn. And, mm-hmm. maybe, and maybe there's a way to do a more targeted approach to rates or different programs. They've got first-time homebuyer you know, stimulus stuff they're talking about again. I kind of feel like it won't have any impact. I, it did have impact back in, you know, 08, 09, or maybe I guess 2010 was, was one of those times where they did some first time home buyer tax credits to try to get people to start buying while prices were still kind of falling. Or, and or it worked. Were, yeah. And yeah. so, it, yeah, and it worked. It would offset the price because somebody would say, okay, I can take on this payment, especially if I'm going to get $10,000 now, or that's going to take care of my. So there was, so usually the first-time home buyer stimulus is to stimulate demand. Um, they've talked about it coming back right now, but they don't. But to me, I say that's the wrong thing because they don't need to stimulate demand. Yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think there's any programs that they should be doing instead? 
you know, I don't, I, I don't know how to do this, but I, I wish there was a way to stimulate sales. You know, if there was some kind of tax break or some kind of incentive to, to get people to sell. You know, I think there are plenty of people, and you, you mentioned this before, people who are kind of, they feel a little bit stuck. They, they really would like to sell either to, to move up or to downsize, but they look at the housing market and they go, well, I don't want to buy in this market. So they don't sell. If there was something to do for those people, like, you know, here's some money for you to buy your next home so you can sell your home to say a first time home buyer, that would be really great. I just, I don't know how to structure something like that, but I really, really wish that uh, yeah. that that kind of thing existed. And then, you know, w- when you look at housing, there's you can look at the overall number of dwellings, and then you can look at home ownership. And so, you know, there, there's there's a lot of people who are renting because they they have to. I mean, they they want to own a home, but but there just aren't enough homes for sale. So they're renting. And so I, I wish that there was a way to, to incentivize landlords, investors to sell their investment homes, their rental homes to people who want to be owner occupants. Uh, you know, so I think of that in terms of like, is there some kind of a punitive tax you could put on that? You know, just some way to get them to think, oh, okay, you know what? Maybe there's a better investment than owning this this rental home and yeah you know, and just and and to sell it to to an owner occupant i know that sounds really anti-landlord but yeah uh, you know i i just i i look at this situation where there really really are a lot of people who wish they could own a home and they have to rent and to me that that seems like a market failure yeah it's it is it's really an interesting point because there are a lot of people that, uh, me included, that that I love buying houses to have be rentals, right? And the and and to be fair, on the other side of that, any one of those rentals would be an ideal house for someone to buy and live in. That's why I like to do it, and that's why they would want to. And when it comes to first time home buyers trying to get a loan or or investors with with you know conventional or cash and things like that. That's where a big disparity is right now of demand, and it's and as it's pushing prices up again, the investors are getting a lot of the benefit of that. I think that the idea of a way to you mentioned getting people to want to sell. There's a lot of talk too about increasing 1031 interest rates out there, or you know tax rates out there, saying you know 10 or getting rid of it completely. I think some sort of a one-time, you know, hey, sometime if you sell your personal residence in the next six months, you don't pay income tax on the gain, uh, something like that. A one-time, short-term something, you know, just for the house you live in, could get a lot of people to be willing to uh, to do that. Or it could be for like two houses. So any person could do it for two houses. Maybe that gets the investor, you know, to sell the house. Uh, you know, if you have a house you've owned for more than a year. And you sell it, you know, in the next six months, you're not going to have to pay taxes on that gain. Something like that could probably do, do a temporary stimulus that the that the first time homebuyer stimulus of, you know, I, I want to say 2010, 2009, that the intent of that was to get the market kind of flown, mm-hmm. give it a jump start. I guess something like that doing a jump start right now for at least supply to get 
a little bit more out there for a few months you know, to change it around. It's really interesting. Taxes and money, you know, makes a big impact, you know, yeah, however yeah. you slice it. It helps people buy the houses. It helps people want to sell their houses. You know, there's so much strategy in that. And the government's biggest control is interest rates and taxes. So it'll be interesting to see how they, how they do that. What other predictions might you have of what we're going to see like long-term real estate in the next five, 10 years? I mean, we, we talked short-term, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you know, I kind of see real estate like the stock market, that it kind of goes up and then you have mm-hmm. some times where it goes down, but I, I'd be hard pressed to say houses will be worth less 20 years from now than they are now. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I just, uh, you know, I see housing as just kind of perpetually going up. Like maybe 15, 20 years from now, when we see this smaller generations, Generation Z coming in and buying houses, a lot of houses, it's a smaller generation. So maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see a dip then. You know, you're going to have baby boomers dying. You have a small, smaller generation, Generation Z coming in to buy. So yeah, you know, you might see a mismatch of the other type on supply and demand. But really, for for a long time, I just don't see how supply can catch up with demand. You know, in a while we we do this annual survey, a home buyer survey, and let me see, we have um, 11% of people surveyed this year said that they plan to buy a home in the next 12 months. Well, okay. So 11%. Well, that would, that would just, uh, 25, that would be something like 25 million. Yeah. Uh, sales when you're, you're, we're getting about 6 million home sales a year, you know, last year it was about, I think 6.4 million. So there's just a lot of optimism out there. Some of it very misplaced. Um, you know, it reminds me of like, when you're in high school and you have a, a classmate who makes C's and you say, what do you want to do with your life? And they say, I want to be a doctor. And you're yeah. like, no, I don't think that's going to happen. So anyway, you know, just a huge number of people who believe that they are going to buy a home this year. You know, that just shows that there's a lot of, of optimism. There's a lot of um, animal spirits that, that will come through in the next five to 10 years, um, you're just going to see strong real estate sales. And I don't think what ma- what happens to interest rates is going to matter very much. When, when I was a freshman in college, it was 1981 and mortgage rates hit 18% and people were still buying houses. You know, people are forming families, they're buying houses. Mortgage rates are, I don't think ever going to get that high again. I, I doubt that they'll hit double digits in our lifetimes. But will people still buy houses at 8%? Yeah, they definitely will. The, yeah, what a, it's so interesting as as you get to see, you know, some some of that, some of that demand stuff, you know, 20, I'm sure that statistic is going to get into some of our images and some of the things that we post out all over social media. You're talking 25 million people want to buy a house in the next year. And over the last year, only five or 6 million sold. So you've got the demand is five times as many. So anyone out there that's worried about some sort of black swan, new black swan event coming in that could really change demand. Yeah. 25 million people want to buy a home, think they're going to buy a home in the next year. Only five or 6 million are going to be able to. 
Um, what does that do? What does that do to rates? What does that do to prices? And like you said, if if rates go way up, maybe that means half the people no longer think that they're going to buy a house, but you still have a higher demand of people believing they're buying than you get. The uh, and two more questions that we kind of run through run through this. The inflation. What do you think about inflation? Is it happening? Is it not happening? Is it short term? Is it long term? A lot of money has been printed in the last year. Super high percentage of the amount of money available in the U.S. has been printed in the last year. Some people say inflation is raring. I just saw an article that said China is now in like deflation already. You know, over the last year. So the trying to figure out is inflation really going to be a thing or not? Technology brings it down. Demand brings stuff up. What are your thoughts? Does it affect real estate? You know much about it. You know, my guess is that um, this is a transitory thing. You know, I think the Federal Reserve thinks that that it's transitory too. You know, I, I think a lot of this is just from supply chain disruptions, and you know, I mean, not only the pandemic, but you know that that ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal was re- yeah. like really, really a big deal. I mean, that's going to have months and months of reverber- reverberations. I mean, gosh, I own a. I own a Ducati and, and apparently there are a bunch of Ducati parts on that ship, you know? And yeah. so if I want to fix it, parts might not be available for a few months. So, you know, so the bottom line is, I think that when I say transitory, uh, you know, I don't mean in the next six months, I, I think, you know, you, you are going to see higher interest rates over the next couple of years, probably as we sort out this pandemic, but you know, they'll, they'll eventually they'll, they'll move back down. And the Fed is going to let interest rates rise above 2% or they're going to let inflation rise above 2% and, and let it stay there for a while. So, you know, the Fed is going to be relatively slow on raising interest rates. And the first thing that they're going to do is, is ease back on buying those mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. They're going to finish doing that before they even raise interest rates. So, I uh, feel like I'm kind of battling here, but I guess the bottom line for like for real estate agents is, yeah, you know, interest rates are going to go higher this year. The, the, the 30-year fixed probably in the year around three and a half percent. Will it hit 4% in 2022? I mean, I, I kind of doubt it. I just don't think that you're going to see that much of an effect on home sales. Uh, you are going to see that effect on affordability. But like we were talking about, if there's five, if if the demand for homes is five times the supply, you know, you're going to see that top 20% or they're going to be able to buy homes no matter what happens to interest rates. And they're going to be able to withstand higher prices. Yeah. What a, what a time. The, how about foreclosures? So beginning of this foreclosures got put on hold. We started looking like, you know, in, in Texas, we track a lot of foreclosure statistics there was 6,000 a month that were scheduled on a normal month. Now there's 1,500 scheduled a month. So for a long time, we were creating this kind of shadow inventory in our head that said, hey, there should be you know, 60,000 that are going to be scheduled. Now they haven't sold yet. We went back and looked at a lot of the ones that were posted last May, June, and July on hold. They're still owned by the same people that were in default. So in one sense, there still is a shadow inventory of that, but houses prices have gone up. People have been adjusted. You think we're going to see any major you know, foreclosure impacts over the next, you know, six, nine, 12 months? I don't think we're going to see much impact from foreclosures. And the reason is higher home values. Those folks who, who were, were in trouble before the pandemic or got in trouble during the pandemic and aren't going to be able to catch up, 
yeah, you know, they're going to have to sell their homes, but they, they've been given, they've been given time, you know, with these moratoriums, they, they're, they're given time to sell their homes and the values have gone up. So they're going to be able to sell it for more than they owe. So there's really not much reason for foreclosure if you can sell the house for more than you owe on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the bet. You know, the equity has offset a lot of things. And during that time, prices have gone up faster than uh, penalties, than penalty payments, right? Then, you know, when people right. are getting behind and a lot of those penalties have been taken away. Well, I mean, I mean, when you look back at like what happened after 2008, yeah, people couldn't afford the mortgages. You know, they lost their jobs or, you know, they had subprime and they were just bad credit risks anyway. And, you know, loans aren't being done that way anymore. At the same time, home values dropped. And so, you know, folks owed more than they, more than the homes were worth. And so they had to go into foreclosure or short sale. So, you know, for people who kind of weren't really around at the time, you know, that's an explanation of the difference between then and now. Home values were going down. So people were stuck owing more than they owed. So they went into foreclosure. Now, look, you know, if you can't afford to pay your mortgage, but the house is worth a hundred thousand more than you owe on it. Well, do you're just going to fix it up and, and sell it. Yeah. That's the, and, and it's a big piggy bank. Like the, you got to fix it. You got to sell it. And you not only get rid of the, the problem of it, you have more money in the bank afterward. Holden, I appreciate you coming on here today and just, just making some predictions with me, just taking some guesses. I know there's so many times and, and all you listeners have heard it. There's plenty of people that say, well, I don't necessarily want to make any predictions on this, but this is the stuff that I, I love doing. I'm fascinated with. I'm sure some of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you. They're going to want to see more of what you're doing. What's the best way that they can see more of the stuff you're doing, reach out to you for questions or just follow along on some of your other articles or podcasts that you're on? Best place is to follow me on Twitter at Holden L. All right. Twitter at Holden L. Again, Holden Lewis. He's a real estate and mortgage expert from NerdWallet. Holden, thanks for coming on the show today and Real Estate Rockstars. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks, Aaron. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I wanna make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate how to get the listing, 
how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.